everyone. Welcome to the Latin Excellence Podcast. I'm Gabby. And this is Carlos. And we are Los, Los Riveras. Riveras. Our show features stories of top performers in the Latinx community and helps you discover practical insights that you can apply to your own personal journey. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining. In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Liliana Monge, co-founder of Sabio, a coding bootcamp based here in L.A. She's going to be discussing her journey to entrepreneurship and how Sabio is helping increase Latinx representation in the tech industry. Liliana is also going to share tactical advice for those who are interested in either making a career shift or thinking about starting their own business. So join us as we welcome Liliana to the show. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Liliana, for joining us today. We're really excited to learn from you and get to hear your story. How are you holding up right now in this time? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you so much. We have one very ideal workstation because I work with uh, my husband, Gregorio, who's the co-founder of my company. Um, So there's one ideal setup. And so we have to always kind of like manage how to share that space um and i'm also a mom i have two little ones so there's a lot of juggling going on um you know cooking a little cleaning groceries and then doing your zoom calls so it's it's been very interesting you and your husband have launched sabio which is a huge technology enabler so creating so many different jobs for all of these tech companies so maybe you can talk a little bit about um, why you started Sabio, and maybe just tell us a little bit more about the the coding bootcamp. Thank you. Yeah, so Sabio was started about seven years ago, and we started in downtown LA. Uh, both Gregorio and I were, you know, regular professionals at the time, and we did want to help more Latinos, more women, more people of color. You know, LA is so diverse. You're both from LA, so you know, LA is just like this amazing, glorious place where you have people from all over the country. And so we just wanted tech companies to reflect that beauty and that sophistication. And so when we started in downtown LA, it was actually a part-time program. So we knew people were working or had other responsibilities during the week. And so we did a Saturday, Sunday, and then a Wednesday check-in. And then we kind of morphed into residential. And so we were very residential, like boots on the ground. You had to come to campus probably from like 2014 to like 2017. And then 2018, we slowly started to get some interest from people outside of LA who recognized that the technology stack that we trained in was really valuable and they wanted to learn that. So we started adding really good Logitech cameras to the the rooms and microphones and stuff like that. So we kind of did a tiny little pivot. But then in September of last year, we were approved to train veterans through the VA through an innovative pilot program called Vet Tech. Mm-hmm. And for that program, students could be in Florida, wherever. Yeah. And we got a good number of remote students. So in September of last year, we kind of made a harder pivot to online. And, and so it was blended. We could have people who were like you two, like you guys could be in our downtown location where you were together, and then you'd be interacting with someone that was in Florida. And so it was a really nice kind of four or five months of of that blended approach so that when the governor said, hey, you guys can't come to office, it was very easy for us to transition to 100% live remote. And that's where we're at right now. If we get the all clear, so to speak, whenever in April or May, 
then people will have the choice to come back to our offices if they so choose, or they can continue doing remote. So it's kind of been fortuitous that we had that opportunity to do that transition over the past couple of years. That's great. Yeah, it seems like you were at the right time at the right moment, especially right now where you can easily shift and move over to online. So many, as we were talking about earlier, is that so many people are now shifting to online and you have that platform essentially ready. Uh, you mentioned that you and your husband both were, were professionals. Um, and I know some Latinos in our culture, you know, the mindset is you have a good job, you go to work, you don't really necessarily take risks, you take care of your family and you do your nine to five and, and that's pretty much it. So I wanted to talk about how you transition both you and your husband into having a little bit more risk and kind of transitioning into starting your own company. Yeah, so I think, you know, we're, we're very much into, we're very big believers of easing into things. And so the way that we eased into becoming 100% entrepreneurs is also how we recommend that our students ease into the concept of technology. And so it's about making those small changes. So like I said, when Gregorio and I both had full-time jobs Monday through Friday, that afforded us health insurance, it gave us a steady income, and we used some of that income to run the business on a part-time basis. Mm -hmm. And so Gregorio and I call it like the full-time, part-time hustle, right? Like a lot of people do that. And so instead of us saying, oh, you know, we have our jobs and we have a little extra income, let's plan our trip to Italy in the summer, right? Which a lot of people do and it's a wonderful family tradition. Um, we were like, well, instead of doing that, we're gonna go ahead and rent room at the hub downtown LA. Mm. Okay. And so it's about making some of those decisions about what you value. And then when you're, you know, as an entrepreneur, as you guys are gonna see this, you have to make sure that you're creating something that people want. And so as, as we started to test our business hypothesis and people would show up and we would get some traction, then we were like, okay, this makes sense. But we continued it as a part-time opportunity. So that allowed us to do full-time jobs and then part-time entrepreneurship. The other thing too, is that once Gregorio was able to transition to a full-time entrepreneur, I remained at my job, which provided us with health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of once again did that slow transition where he had a batch of students that were Monday through Friday. And then we also were finishing off a batch of students that were Saturday and Sunday. So it's a lot of sacrifice, right? He has some blog posts where it was like, um, I think 700, I don't know, some crazy number where he worked Monday through Monday, like nonstop for, I forgot how many weeks. Wow. Um, so that was, you know, that was hard and that was challenging, but it allowed us, it allowed him to leave the professional world and just be a full-time entrepreneur and run the business. And, um, you know, I think entrepreneurship, you know, I think it has to really just match a person's personality. If you're doing something that you love, if you're solving a problem and you're getting that positive feedback loop, you know, for us, we would run the cohort and people would go into jobs and they would increase their wages by like 20, 40, $50,000. Wow. We were like, okay, wow. this makes sense, mm -hmm. right? So that's why finding product market fit as an entrepreneur is important um, and doing things in a way that you kind of are stacking those puzzle pieces together so that you get then the full picture. Um, once I became a full-time Sabio employee, we were able to do that because some of the students that we had trained over the previous year, they were making monthly payments to us because they now had jobs. 
And so that allowed me to kind of replace my income that I had as an entrepreneur, as a professional. And, you know, we were able to buy our own health insurance. And so we never did anything that was super crazy drastic. You know, like we didn't run up our credit card bills, which some people do. And that's a personal decision that you can decide if, if that's what you want. And we didn't go periods where, you know, we didn't have insurance or we were like in financial peril. So we've just kind of been able to kind of do that slow pivot over time. And, um, you know, I think being an entrepreneur, if you're solving problems that are important to you, um, I think your family will come around to it. And obviously, you know, you do want to be an entrepreneur in the Latino community. It's really about um, not being a burden to others. Right. So like that's, you know, if, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, but you're going to constantly be asking your prima for her health car and you're constantly going to, you know, ask your Theo to pack up his garage with his stuff. Well, then you might get a little pushback. Right. And you either have to decide that you're OK with that pushback or or not. And so I think it's about putting it in context and not thinking about it as a binary entrepreneurship sucks or it's the best thing in the world. I think there's a lot of happy medium that's available in between. Yeah, I think the critical thing that you said, I think it's so important, the the fact that you can ease into things yes. and not have to jump all the way into, okay, I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and start this new venture. But you're saying if you plan and are strategic about it, you can do both until you feel confident in either the entrepreneurship or maybe the business or the company that you're working in. I, I like that idea of easing into it because it's not always black and white to your point. Yeah, for sure. And that's totally what we recommend for our students that are thinking about a career change. We do the same thing, like anyone who reaches out and like, hey, I'm interested in this career. Is it gonna be for me? And I'm like, I can't tell you that. I don't, you know, it's impossible for me to tell you. The only thing I can tell you is here are some free resources. Here's our free pre-work class. Get started. If you have questions, ask questions, engage with the community, engage with other people that are wanting to do the same thing. And over time, you're going to be able to answer that for yourself. And I do get emailed from people and they're like, I don't like this. Thank you. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. Right. But now they have that kind of checked off their list. And so I think a lot of that needs to be the same. There's a big culture. I don't know what, where this came from here in America, but it's like, you know, at 17, you're supposed to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life so that you can apply to the right school and get the right major. And it's like, dude, you're 17, like relax. There's no way you have enough information about what you want to do with the rest of your entire life. And so we work with so many people who have already graduated from school, already have a career. And they're not experiencing economic opportunity or there isn't advancement in their careers. And so then they look up and they're like, okay, so what are my choices? What do I do? And so we have a whole bunch of awesome free self-paced options that people can then start to engage with to determine if a career in tech might be right for them. And, and I know you talked a little bit about uh, product market fit and I can imagine as a startup early on, you really want to be specific about, you know, who your target customer is. And I was just thinking about, you know, looking at how you pick the name Sabio, right? Which yes. in English means wise for those of who, some people don't know. Um, but why was it important for you to make sure you still had that connection to Latinx culture that you would pick your company name to be a Spanish word? 
Yeah, so I think it's about uh, trying to find some product market fit. If you're going to launch in Los Angeles, launching with a Spanish name is kind of okay, right? Because um, there's already so much adoption of the Spanish language. Um, you also want to kind of stand out. And so in the sea of coding boot camps, there's a lot of, you know, like kind of like hard, kind of crazy names like, you know, Hack Reactor and like Iron Yard. I don't know where they got these. I, I have no idea how they came up with those things. And so we obviously didn't have the kind of financing or funding that some of these larger organizations had. So you have to try to be strategic, but it's a process. You know, Gregorio and I went through so many different names. Um, and, you know, you have to work with different people, bounce it off with different ideas. And then um, when you kind of arrive at something, you have that eureka moment, it feels right. And you're like, oh yeah, this totally makes a lot of sense. Right, and I think that speaks to some that are worried about competition, right? How do I stand out from all of these businesses that are similar to mine? And maybe I'm focused on catering to the diverse community or a specific community in LA. But I think that's important to say we're adding to the yes. collective goal versus how do I stand out and compete with all of these folks? So I think that's, that's right. a different mindset. I don't think everyone has. You mentioned that, you know, not all of us have an opportunity or not all of us know how to, how to pull um, capital or how, how to have access to capital. So maybe if you can kind of help us understand a little bit more of like, what is it like as a, as a company to first you're thinking of maybe perhaps you bootstrapped, um, Savio, and then maybe later in, in different stages, you had an opportunity to raise capital, but maybe you can kind of walk us through what that process is so that some of our listeners can say, okay, what are the different options that we can actually have to start a business? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, so finding your product market fit, when you build something that solves a problem for people, they are willing to pay you for it. And so thinking about the concept of capital and thinking about the concept of payment, um, you, you sometimes need to be creative with that. And so like one of the things that we did that generated capital um, and allowed us to service our customers was that we trained people and allowed them to give us payments after they got jobs. And so that created a stream of revenue for us um, for months and years after we had launched. And so, you know, you're going to read this in lots of different books, but, you know, revenue and cash, you know, is, is the best thing that you want to do. So as you start working with your customers, um, a payment, a, a unique payment model might be that one thing that kind of sets you apart that allows you to access customers that aren't currently being served by the current competition. And so that's why when you're doing your analysis of what kind of business do I want and how do I want to set it up, um, your uh, payment options might be a way that will differentiate you in the marketplace and give you some capital, um, either today or a revenue stream long-term. Um, so we were able to capitalize on some of those trends. And then, you know, you do a little bit of a lot of things at the same time. So while we're running our business and while we're collecting revenue from customers, you're also out at, you know, the capital markets and you're also out, you know, trying to engage with investors or with lenders. And there are, you know, two different types of people. Some people who want to let you borrow money are going to let you borrow money based on your previous um, success versus when you're going to go out and work with someone who's more risk capital, they want to know about what you're planning on building and they may give you um, funding for that. 
And so as an owner, you always just have to think about those different, um, it kind of like tug and pull where you have to like keep a good balance sheet of what's happening right now in your business, but then also keep an eye on what you're going to build and what the vision is because people will give you capital for either one of those kind of two sides of the coin. Um, so there's, you know, tons of really amazing resources that are out there for people to kind of go and say, okay, well, I'm this kind of business and this is the kind of revenue I'm going to generate. What type of capital providers match that, um, match that kind of business model. And then that way you don't have to kind of turn yourself upside down, trying to fit um, a capital market that just doesn't match your business. Yeah. And yeah, no, that's great. And I was wondering about those folks, business owners that maybe don't have a business background. Mm -hmm. How, you mentioned some of the resources. What, what are some of those go-to resources that maybe you used or you've seen others use that work really well just to help build that business acumen muscle? Yeah. So there's great resources, you know, well, the SBA.gov has lots of really great resources that will kind of teach you about, you know, different opportunities. You can also go to places like grants.gov. It's a, it's a site from the federal government that will give you different grant opportunities, which you as a business owner don't necessarily think, hey, I might qualify for something, but there are opportunities out there for, for all kinds of businesses, whether it's a nonprofit business or for-profit business to apply to grants. Um, and then you can also think about, um, you know, working with sometimes there's these small organizations called CDFIs, community development, um, financing institutions, they're smaller, they're in your local neighborhood. Camino Financial is a great example of a CDFI. Um, there's also another really awesome one run in downtown LA. There are neighbors called Lendistry and they're a, they're a bank that caters to, you know, local businesses. So it's doing some of those different, um, researching some of those different resources to figure out if there's a match for you. And then, you know, if, you, if you're gonna run a business, it's hard to do everything on your own. So you definitely do need a team, like one other person um, that is part of your team that can kind of complement your skills so that you're kind of well-rounded because it's impossible for one person to be like a finance expert, a marketing expert, and then like your technical officer, right? It's just, it's too much for one person to bear. So you also have to work with a team. If you're the type of person that's just like, I don't want to deal with this number stuff, try to find someone that complements your skills that might be interested in, in finance and might be interested in your business. And then that person can kind of be tasked with those um, uh, objectives of, of raising capital. So I want to switch gears and just talk about culture. For okay. So thinking about your specific background, culture, I wonder how that influenced the way that you lead as an entrepreneur and how you created your business. So, I mean, my culture, I was raised by um, my mom and by my sister. They uh, were definitely individuals who were very, very supportive of all my crazy ideas that I've always had. And so I personally, you know, my microculture of that was created by my mom and my sister, um, is very unique. And I was kind of a little isolated and put in a nice little bubble to be crazy and do whatever the hell I wanted when I wanted. Right. So like when I was 15, I actually went away. I was, um, I lived in LA but I applied to private schools and I went to Connecticut for high school. 
And so all of my family was like having a cow, <laughs> I bet. Like, telling my mom, like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? This is insane. How do you let a 15 year old leave your house? And so I have had to kind of wrestle with that tug and pull of like how, you know, my mom and my sister have been a lot more, you know, some people could think of it as like lenient sure. than other traditional Mexican families. Um, and I definitely have benefited from that. And so I recognize my privilege in having a mom and a sister who were very like, hey, she's got a good head on her shoulder. Um, let her do what she needs to do. Um, and so I think when, you know, we became entrepreneurs, once again, they were like, all oh, these crazy people, what are they doing? But they were like, okay, we'll help you. Because what they could help with was like time and effort, right? So when we needed childcare, they were like, yes, we will help you. We will give you childcare for free. And they were very kind and very generous in that regard. So, um, you know, I've, I'm very, very, very privileged in that regard because I'm kind of the type of person that my personality type allows me to naturally kind of be a risk taker. And um, obviously I get that from my mom because she's kind of like, all right, just don't burn the building down, right? <laughs> like that's kind of like where her, 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 her guidelines are at. And so, you know, there are other women who are listening to this that don't have that crazy mom that lets them do whatever the hell they want and the amazing sister that just supports them with everything. You definitely have to kind of create that space for yourself. And you can create space by not telling people what you're doing every second, right? Maybe you need some space. You need six months, nine months to kind of run your pilot business and get some traction um, before you bring it out to the entire family. If you know that they're all going to be poopy about it, right? So you have to kind of give yourself that space if you need it, if you know you're in that kind of an environment. Um, and then in terms of like how, you know, I... I operate as a leader. I have, you know, the absolute privilege of running this organization with Gregorio, my husband. Um, he, you know, we complement each other very well. I'm kind of like the finance marketing person. Um, he's technical. And so he carries a massive burden in this organization. Um, and that's just been a massive blessing. And so for many people who are looking to launch organizations or to grow them, your partnerships are just so important because you do need to find people that complement your skills and someone that you trust um, because there will be challenging parts. And so if you have a nice foundation of trust, then you can make hard decisions together. Um, and, and that really helps. So, you know, as, as a leader, um, I, I am kind of, you know, try to be innovative. I made a, you know, a big push for cybersecurity like two years ago. We were a little early about that. Um, and so, you know, I have the, the stable rock of my husband that kind of pulls me back to like, Hey, this full stack web development is great. Let's focus on that because <laughs> we can see that that's there. So there are elements, um, of my own personality, obviously that bleeds into my leadership style. And, um, you know, I run this organization with a partner that complements my skills. So my blind spots are definitely, um, something that, um, are mitigated by my partner for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, well, first of all, it's, it's awesome to have that you have a, your best friend as your partner. Um, and Gabby and I have been married now two years. Um, oh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. But the good thing about it is you're right. I think you have someone that who has your back at all times. And, and not only that, in a personal relationship, but in a professional relationship, 
that you can both kind of relate and kind of complement each other in skills. Um, and she knows exactly what my biggest weaknesses are and I can look out for her and see what her biggness yes. is. There's not many, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, she doesn't have that many, so. <laughs> What is he talking about? <laughs> um, no, that, that's true. And, you know, I think you, you talked about specifically, and you're very lucky how you were saying that your mom and your sister were so supportive of you from the beginning. 15, if, I think if I said to my mom I was leaving, she would freak out. Yeah. yeah. So that's awesome. And, you know, that has cultivated that, you know, taking risk and that innovation in your own leadership. That's, that's awesome how and, and thinking about how that translates into the curriculum and into what you're teaching your own students who may have a background that's different from yours maybe they didn't have the same supportive family or maybe didn't have the resources so i'm curious how you tackle that uh you know the leadership skills or the interpersonal skills that are required to be successful in you know corporate america how do you tackle that in your environment yeah so you know we're on slack we're also in person um and so we start uh, all of our batches from day one with doing a very big onboarding where we make it very clear you are in school but you need to treat this like work mm-hmm. and so gregorio and i are both um big nerds and we one of our both favorite books is um the seven habits of highly effective people yeah And so I was introduced to that book by uh, the Anderson program at UCLA that I did when I graduated from Wellesley. And um, I can't remember when he read it, but it's, you know, begin with the end in mind. And so when we start our students day one, we're like, we understand that you've come here because you want to be that technical professional. And therefore, in order for us to help you get there, you need to start behaving like that today. Hmm. And so we don't treat students like students. We treat them like professionals from day one. And so we do daily stand-ups, right? Which is what is done in technical companies. We have them use Trello. We don't have like assignments, right? You don't, mm-hmm. you, you have them use Trello, which is what they're going to use with their, um, with their technical teams. And so we really try to run the training room like a dev shop and less like a school. So like when we have to do like technical assessments and we give people grades, we tell them it's a mock interview. And so there's a lot of stuff that we do to really just make it, make people understand from day one um, what it means to be part of a tech company. Um, and then our students get a lot of one-on-one attention. So if something, if they post something inappropriate on Slack, I'm in their DMs and I'm like, I need you to do me a favor and please yeah. remove that. And this is the reason why. Yeah. Right. And so they're all oh, sorry. I'm you know, they'll go take it down. Um, if there are other issues, then, you know, a senior instructor can do a one-on-one with them to kind of help them. And mindset is very important. Uh, you know, you have to be positive. You, you, you know, it's a difficult journey to go from being um, a server to a software engineer. Yeah. And so our entire team is tasked with being positive, with being encouraging, and knowing kind of what students need at what time because sometimes students need that that encouragement sometimes they need like that that's it you haven't been working hard enough you need to step it up or this isn't going to be the place for you and so we give our students those three to four months to really kind of operate as a professional so that when they do get hired they don't get fired that's like the number one rule that's huge 
Yeah, I think that's a good point because a lot of people don't know some of the basic skills and how to work in a corporate yes. environment or how to work, you know, uh, the, the environment and the culture in a restaurant is going to be completely different than in an office. So right. sometimes you have to constantly remind them and you, you really have to be a little bit more personable with them, right? Actually be a, a human being and know that the other person has some emotions. What was that maybe experience or situation that you or your husband had that really, you saw the impact of what you were doing. Yeah, so I mean, one of the more touching stories, it was already, uh, it was Christmas break. And so I think it was like December 23rd or 24th and Gregorio and I had already broken um, for the Christmas break. And we got an email from a student. Um, I think he was a DACA recipient and he mentioned, you know, he sent us the email and he's like, hey, I just got my job offer. And I think he, um, he doubled his wages and he's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be in a very good place to help my mom and my sister whom I live with. And so, you know, it, because we, we were on break, it really gave us an opportunity to be like, you know, all of this craziness that we go through is really worth it. And so we're constantly getting, you know, it's a once a week, once, once, you know, every other day notice from someone, not just that they've gotten their first job in tech, which is fantastic. And we're super happy about that. But we see that once you get into tech, there's so much upward mobility. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the things that's been most rewarding about doing this work. Because when we did begin, people were like, well, you're going to get them into like tech ghetto jobs. They're like all nasty about it. They were like, you know, well, they're going to do tech, but they're not going to get paid well. And they're not going to go anywhere from there. And we were like, Okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so when people started getting their second and third jobs and they're like, I'm making $200,000, I was like, oh shit, this is really something amazing. Yeah. Right. So now it's really, we always have an internal competition of like, who's making the most. And we have someone who's like making 350. It's crazy. Wow. Wow. And they're always checking in with me to see if they're like the top person. And then we have a bunch of people in the 200s and there's a boatload of people in the 175 to like 135, yeah. which is amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's insane to think that you can get paid more than $200,000 just writing code. It's bonkers, right. Right. but you can. And, you know, to that point, I think we, as a society, we know that underrepresentation is, is still an issue specifically. Oh, yeah. Latino community, right? I think we're we're maybe ten percent of the tech workforce, if that. I think it's five. I think the highest is five at companies. Maybe at Google has five Latino percent. Yeah, it's really low. It's very low. So I think there's two ways to look at it. Yes, there there is what there are the things that individuals can do to help mm -hmm. themselves grow and help themselves get to tech, which is you know, taking programs like yours, learning more, and just really being intentional about how to get there. But I think there's also this other side of what can organizations do yes. right, to help increase and support these communities. So what would you say if you were talking to, and I'm sure you, you do talk to them on a regular basis, but if you're talking to an organization and giving them advice on how to improve representation, what would a few of those points be? So, I mean, now we're in a very great place because we have 700 grads in the wild, right? And so now we have people that have graduated from the program. They're working at places like Amazon. They're working at places like Google. 
Um, they're doing amazing things. And so we can now explain to them like, look, what you're looking for is someone who you're looking for people who are really very engaged with this material. They're very eager to learn and they're willing to have a growth mindset throughout the time they're with you. And, you know, sometimes when you can use language like that, it helps them open up their mind about like, well, then, and if that's the case, if that's the kind of person that you want, then maybe you don't necessarily need to make sure that everyone that you hire has a college degree, yeah. right? Because that was a big barrier for many years yeah. where companies were like, I have to have that college degree. And we all know that, you know, I mean, the number of people that graduate with four-year degrees is very small in this country. Yeah. And so it's helping them understand the value of these non-traditional students that they do have professional experience. Some of many of our grads do have professional experience. And so how can they bring that professional experience plus their technical that they've learned and add value to their organization? Um, and it's, you know, having conversations over many years, over many times, um, asking them if they're interested in launching maybe a pilot program. Mm -hmm. That's something that kind of they're interested in. We just launched a pilot program in San Diego with ServiceNow. ServiceNow mm -hmm. is going to hire like 11,000 people this year. They really wanted to increase the number of um, veterans that they hired. And so they came to us and they said, okay, give me all your candidates. We're going to interview them and we're going to put them through this unique pilot program. And then once I can demonstrate that the pilot is doing well, then we can grow it and then we can just make it a normal part of the organization. Mm -hmm. So there has been a lot of movement over the years that um, has made internal systemic change a little bit easier. And I think uh, I'm hopeful that it will continue to grow and you will continue to see those diversity numbers tick up um, throughout the country. Yeah. How do you get your inspiration? How do you go through that process of becoming a leader? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, it's giving yourself a little time and space uh, to work on the business and work in the business, right? And so Gregorio is a master uh, at time blocking. He's a genius. He is a master at using tools. Um, so using Trello, right? Like if, if you have a priority, it goes on that card and you prioritize those cards all the time. So really thinking, you know, giving yourself time and space to think about initiatives that are important and then, you know, putting them on that Trello card and then giving yourself time it, during the day to work on those priorities. Mm -hmm. And then it's also about engaging external people outside of your organization to help you, right? So we just recently brought on a CFO, uh, Emmanuel Pleites, I don't know if you guys know him. He's wonderful. He has very, very extensive experience with growing companies through private equity. Um, and so that's a whole other kind of world. And it's another systemic way of looking at growth. And so, you know, you have to recognize that you do have blind spots, right? It's impossible, even though I have lots of finance experience and I've been doing this for seven years, I don't know everything and I know I don't know things. Right. And so when you go and you engage people like Emmanuel to join your team, he brings in that additional expertise that you're lacking and it can help, you know, widen your view and expand your expertise. So, you know, it's kind of recognizing what are you good at, finding people that complement that, and then um, being strategic about, um, you know, making people 
feel like they have an opportunity to contribute to the team because that's what people want to do. And then hopefully that's how you can make a really solid, robust organization that's going to be here for the long term. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I was thinking about the time blocking and how important that is right now when your days oh, yes. feel like they go on forever. Um, okay, so we also want to emphasize for our listeners, so definitely hearing your story has been amazing and just Thank those you. nuggets that people can take away I think are great. If you could summarize um, actionable takeaways that people, either budding entrepreneurs or folks that are interested in getting into tech or even just a career change in general, what are some things they can start doing tomorrow to get towards their goal? So three things that they can do tomorrow. Well, I think that today they can go ahead and uh, sign up for some kind of free online class that will teach you something that will allow you to get on that path that you want to be. So if you want to do technical product management, technical product management is a lot of fun. People love it. Um, it's very hot, sexy um, type of job. So some people think I have to go and get an MBA. You don't necessarily have to get an MBA, right? And so there are a bunch of free online classes that you can take to start understanding what does that career really look like. So taking a free online class. Um, number two, you definitely want to make sure that your LinkedIn profile really speaks to the person that you are and the person that you want to be. Um, you want to have a really nice, robust, professional LinkedIn profile mm -hmm. so that you can go and find one or two people that are doing what you're doing and you want to try to engage with them. And just, you don't necessarily have to reach out and say, hey, can I have your time? You can just do research on their profile to see like, oh, they took these classes, they did this, they had this kind of internship. Okay. And then if you do reach out to people, you can ask a very thoughtful question. And that first question doesn't have to be, oh, can I have a coffee with you? It can just be like, I see that you took this, that you had this internship. Would you recommend it? Is it very rigorous to get into that internship? And do you have a single tip that would help me apply to that internship as well? Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it's about easing into things. I mean, I'm a big kind of believer of that. Um, and then it's, you know, you know, probably purchasing some type of, of book or audio book that will, you know, keep you motivated and encouraged. It's about finding community. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people sometimes get stuck in their heads and are thinking about things and are renumerating it. And it's like, you need to step out of that and take some action to kind of start driving towards that goal. So if you don't have anyone in your immediate environment that can help you stay motivated and stay encouraged, then you can definitely find that through a podcast like yours, through, um, you know, something that will allow you to listen to other people talking about what you want to do so that it really will encourage you and give you that motivation. Um, and kind of put you in a mind frame that will allow you to succeed going forward. That's great. No, yeah, those are definitely all good things that we can start today doing now. Today. <laughs> uh, no mañana. Only, no mañana. Only. No mañana. Today. <laughs> ahora. Ahora. <laughs> so I know we're almost out of time, but just maybe quickly. So what's next for Sabio? What do, what do you see in the next couple years or, or the next couple months? Yeah, so we definitely are always looking for new and innovative payment instructions for our students. So currently we partner with Sally May, we work with Skills Fund, 
we have an income share agreement for people that want to pay tuition after they've graduated as a percentage of their income. Um, we also accept two different types of veteran administration benefits. And we are definitely working really hard at securing accreditation. So we're working with the Council for Occupational Education and we hope that by the end of the year, Sabia will officially be an accredited institution, which will then put us on the path to accept all kinds of federal and state um, financial aid, which I think is going to do a lot to increase access to these types of programs. So we're working on, on that constantly. And then we're always looking to make sure that the technical offerings that we have are relevant um and so we, we do a lot of work in that regard as well constantly looking to make sure that our curriculum is up to date and then we're always doing research to work with um, you know as many tech companies as possible that are interested in hiring people that are very smart that are very motivated and have made this commitment to learn how to code um, you know if you're an employer and you need additional technical talent you really need to look at coding bootcamp grads so I'm always open to talking to people who need to hire technical talent and kind of walk them through what we've done with other companies and the success that they've seen um, I don't get angry people calling me because they've hired fellows I swear to God people I have employers that are mad at us because fellows leave their jobs Oh, wow. There you go. Our fellows are great and they come in and they do awesome things and then and then they, they go find another job and, and employers sometimes get upset about that because their fellows are so great and they don't want them to leave. Yeah, that's right? great. Yeah, especially so, the foundation. Yeah. So. Yeah. So tech talent's out there. It's really just about maybe reworking some of your onboarding process to help you get additional bodies in there that will add value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we have no doubt that uh, the dream team that you have is going to make that happen. So thank you so much. We want to wrap up with something that we call fast four. They're just kind of fun questions. Okay. You can, you know, answer at the top of your head. So the first one here is name one person that you're currently following or that you just admire. Uh, I love Cardi B. Cardi B. Oh, all right. That's a good Me one. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> And so you mentioned a book earlier, but I'm curious, what book are you currently reading? Um, I actually have a wonderful book um, about the Mexican Revolution that I'm reading that I've learned a lot about from Pancho, um, Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata. Yeah. I'm halfway through it. It's, it's a wonderful read. Nice. That's awesome. Um, okay, so maybe two more. What's your favorite Spanish quote? Oh, a Spanish quote. Uh, oh, el diablo no es diablo por ser diablo, sino por ser viejo. Ah, ah. I like that one. Because <laughs> so, you're old, you learn shit every year. That guy doesn't die, so he's just learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then maybe last one. What would you want your younger self to know? Oh, you know, I definitely think that my younger self should know that there's just so much more that's possible. You know, I think we all, you know, we, you know, even though I had an uh, amazing support from, you know, friends, family, I think you still create your own boundaries. Mm. Okay, so there you have it. So much more is definitely possible. Thanks so much, Liliana, for sharing those great tips on how we can jumpstart into a new career, be it 
a software engineer, or as the founder of our own business. To learn more about Sabio, visit their website at sabio.la. All of the books and websites we discussed are linked in our show notes below. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, make sure to subscribe to our channel and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Latin Excellence Podcast.